like that. You want to try that. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I hope you all are ready to be learned up today. And it is going to be a hopeful, fun episode. Hopefully fun episode because we're not starting off on the best circumstances going into the show. But we'll get to that in a short little bit. But first, make sure you go and follow the Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. And, of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Jeez. Instagram. (laughs) The Logan Blackman Show 1. Also, Blackman Logan is my personal account. Facebook and YouTube. Search Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you like and follow the Facebook page. And subscribe to YouTube channel. And make sure to check out our Gold Cup videos. We will get to the United States men's national team run in the Gold Cup here in a short little bit. But again, the most important thing you can do while listening to the show is make sure you're following and or subscribe to the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts and leave a rating on five stars on both. It could be a one-star rating. It could be a five-star rating. Of course, I'd appreciate the five-star rating more, but if you leave a one-star rating, that's fine. If that's the way you feel, so be it. But just leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do. Now, we brought up the United States men's national team's run in the 2023 Gold Cup. And as we've stated before about the United States in the Gold Cup, just the, the Gold Cup in general, okay? The the tournament itself is set up specifically, specifically for if everything goes to plan, if everything goes according to the plan, the United States and Mexico will meet in the final. Of course, that doesn't happen every single time, but the tournament is always set up. Notice how in the knockout stages, unless something goes wrong in the group stage, the United States and Mexico never play each other in the knockout stage until the final. Now, I don't know if that's ever happened before in the history of the Gold Cup. I know the United States most played match in the Gold Cup, or not even just the United States played most played match. The most played match in the history of the Gold Cup is the United States taking on Panama, which took place on Wednesday night. This is the semifinal game. It was the United States versus Panama. On the other side of the bracket was Jamaica versus Mexico, which Mexico ended up winning the game 3-0, which I was surprised. Uh, not, not really by Mexico winning. I thought Jamaica had a chance in this game. I thought it'd be a little bit closer than 3 nothing. if I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I thought if we were looking at the strength of Jamaica's squad, I thought it was able to compete with Mexico. I thought they'd give them some problems. I don't know if I was fully convinced that Jamaica could outright beat Mexico in the semifinals, but I thought there was a chance. I thought Jamaica were talented enough to do so, and once Mexico scored within the first minute of the game, or first minute and a half of the game, it it was pretty much over at that point. Jamaica really had no answers for anything Mexico was offering, and Mexico was going yet again to another Gold Cup final, but not against the United States, because unlike previous tournaments, things went wrong. Things went very, very wrong in this tournament, and the United States ended up losing on penalties to Panama. Um, yeah, just not not fun. Back-to-back games finishing in penalties. In the video that we did, which you still check out on the YouTube channel again, which is the Logan Blackman Show, make sure, again, you subscribe and like the videos as well, if you like them, of course. If you like them, of course. But this was a game that I thought the United States would be able to win. I said they'd win 2-1. to one. I didn't know if extra time would be an option. The United States started the game off as fast as possible. I mean, Kate Cowell hit the freaking post on the first shot of the game. 24 seconds into the game, and one of the second fastest goal in United States men's national team history, the fastest one coming when Shaq Moore scored within the first 20 seconds against Canada in the 2021 edition of the Gold Cup, which, again, I was there for with a few friends. Very cool to see. One of my friends I was with uh, was recording at the start of the game. It could have just recorded like a few more seconds longer, and he would have gotten the goal on video, which would have been super cool to have that, but... 
you know, you can't win them all. You can't win them all. And you could say the same thing about the United States versus Panama. And to be 100% honest with you, I cannot sit here and say, like, the United States were the better team or deserved to go to the final. The United States got bailed out twice in this game. Twice. There could be another one in there as well. But Panama scored two goals in this game. Now, both of them were offsides. Both of them were well offsides. But the fact that they were still able to get the ball in the net showed a lot in that game. In the first half, once again, Panama dominated possession. The United States was relatively empty with literally everything they did. This system that is in place sucks. And I absolutely hate it. And this team in general, it's it, it's it's hard to like put into words exactly what I'm feeling in regards to this team in this game because of the fact this team was not good enough to really compete. You would go like, okay, this would be really funny if the United States C team would go on to win the Gold Cup. That would be freaking hilarious because we already know Kings of CONCACAF with the A team dominating, the B team won the 2021 Gold Cup. Now we're bringing out a C team. Maybe they can go on and win it. But the players weren't good enough. The system sucks. We have known the system has sucked for a while now. And we're going to sit here and act like BJ Callahan was calling the shots here. No, 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 no. Greg Berhalter was calling the shots. You look at the squad. You look at the system. It was completely different than what we had when the United States ran through the teams at the CONCACAF Nations League final against Mexico and Canada. Like, ran through them. They looked completely different. They looked awesome against the likes of St. Catanivas and Trinidad and Tobago when you're playing semi-professional teams, when you're playing actually legit competition in Jamaica, Canada, and Panama, you they struggled. They got outplayed in every single one of those games we just mentioned. Jamaica, they got outplayed. They allowed a goal early on, got outplayed that entire game until the second half, and then the subs came on, and then things started to click for them, and then Brandon Vasquez rescued them late in the game. And we got this two 6 nothing drubbings against Trinidad and Tobago and St. Catanivas, and you go against Canada... You're getting dominated in the game. You are controlling possession, but you're doing absolutely nothing. You are going right into what Canada wants you to do. Canada was making the field very narrow, which was screwing up literally everything the United States was doing. And sure, they didn't win on possession, but that was the game plan they wanted. If you were looking at which game plan worked better, Canada's worked better for the most part. And again, you got bailed out by a late goal by Brandon Vasquez, and then you got bailed out again with an own goal late in the game. You should have lost that game, too. You should have lost against Jamaica. You should have lost against Canada. Panama, you did lose. You could only fake, fake death so or, uh, What's it called? You could only cheat death so many times. Until death's like, you know what? I'm done. We're done playing this game. You're done. You're just, in general, done. You won against Jamaica. And the, the, when I say winning against Jamaica, you drew against Jamaica, but you won the group. So it's kind of like a... You didn't deserve to win that game. You got very lucky that you won that game. And in turn, you ended up winning the group because of two dominating performances against two semi-pro teams. Essentially, semi-pro teams. I know they have some players on there, but essentially they're semi-professional teams that were never going to be able to compete with the likes of the United States or even Jamaica or any top-tier CONCACAF team, which is not anything special. Top-tier CONCACAF team is nothing amazing. So let's just put that out there. And then Canada looked like crap. Second half, things started to change a little bit. But in the second half of this game, you looked a little different. You changed the shape. You put Ferrer as a holding or as a number 10. You kept, tucked him in off the right. You moved Cade Cowell over to the right. You dropped Jordi Mihailovic to left wing. And you had a midfield two of Busio and James Sands. And you sucked in the game. And then you got found out late. You tried to play a high line defensively. I don't even know. Cancerous, I guess you could say. Aaron Long starting this game. I understand Jalen Neal had an injury going into this, which I was not aware of going in. But Aaron Long being a part of this national team 
It is insanely frustrating. Insanely frustrating. I don't know what the hell he does to warrant a call-up to the national team every single time. I do not know what he's done to warrant a call-up. And when you are going into a Gold Cup with a... You know you're not going to bring a strong squad. Because I understand the whole aspect of letting your European players go back and get ready for preseason. I understand that aspect. They just finished a long season... Let them go back, rest, and then get ready for preseason and stuff like that. That's fine. You got club obligations there. That's fine. But if you're not going to bring your best players, bring a developmental squad. There's no developmental squad in this team. This is not a developmental squad. This is just players that do not deserve to be called up to the national team anymore. Those players are DeAndre Yedlin, 81 caps. Aaron Long somehow managed to get 35 caps. Matt Miazga should not get called up anymore. Christian Roldan should not get called up anymore. Jackson Newell, don't know why he got called up to replace Alan Senora. Don't know why he got called up. Jordan Morris should not get called up anymore. We know what they are. There was no learning required for there. Julian Gressel, why did he get called into the squad? I understand he's good at set pieces. What else does he do? What else does he do? We can look at this entire squad and say that. Like these players that you brought, Sean Johnson, why did he start against St. Kitts We know what he is. Why did Selena, Slonina not start that game? Slonina is supposed to be the next great American goalie. He's 10 years younger than Matt Turner. 10 years younger, not, or 9 years and a few months younger than Matt Turner, I guess. And one month younger than Matt Turner. Give him some minutes. That was not a game. We know what Sean Johnson is. We know what he is. Why are we playing him in a game that we know we're going to win? He's going to get a little work. Just give Slonita the opportunity for that. We know what these players are. Why are they still here? If you're going to go in the Gold Cup knowing you're not going to take this tournament seriously, why don't you bring a developmental squad of players that will actually play together? Like a U23 tournament of sorts. These players will not play with each other ever again. The system looked so chaotic every single time, and you can tell there was such an insane lack of familiarity with everybody on this squad. You had players like Aaron Long and Matt Miazga starting with two fullbacks that had never played before for the national team, or within reason. They're relatively young in regards to national team terms. You look at the game with Matt Turner against Canada, that was the first time that back line played 70-plus minutes together. First time ever. And you know what? That's probably going to be the last time ever that back line ever plays together. And Brian Reynolds, Miles Robinson, Jalen Neal, and Dewan Jones. I highly doubt those four will play together ever again. I'm not saying their national team careers are done. I highly doubt that. But as far as those four, they will never play to each other again. At least create some scenarios that allow for development. There was no development here. You just didn't take the tournament seriously for the sake of not taking it seriously. And you got found out. You play stupid games, you get stupid prizes. You bring a C team. Knowing it's not good enough to win, but you're like, ah, we're the United States. We've won the last two tournaments. We won with an A team in 2019. We won with a B team in 2021. Why, we, why can't we just win with a C team? Let's test the waters a little bit here. And you lose to Panama, and rightfully so. You should have lost three games this tournament. You're lucky you got a win against Canada. Because Matt Turner saved your ass in the penalty shootout, and he got a lucky own goal. Miles Robinson's hands, I don't know what the hell they were doing the entire time. He didn't cover himself in glory. The last Gold Cup in 2021, he was one of the unsung heroes or one of the star players of that tournament. That was a tournament for players to play their way in the national team, and Miles Robinson was one of those people. Shaq Moore, I can only say, got to the World Cup because of his performances in the Gold Cup. 
Because Lord knows, I didn't know he was even in conversations to make the World Cup squad until he got announced he was in the World Cup squad. Like, if I'm looking at this squad and looking at who could make the A-team, apart from Matt Turner, who's the number one goalie, we know that, and he's he's forced himself a lot of the blame for that goal that was allowed there. That is all the back line's fault. DeAndre Yedlin got lazy on the backside, which allowed the, the offensive player to stay on, which was the first goal for the national team ever, by the way. What a great time to get it. He plays professionally in Venezuela. No offense to Venezuela people that play soccer down in Venezuela. Your first goal comes against a guy who plays for freaking Arsenal. And you've got a back line of people that are stars in the MLS, which is a league that's supposed to be one of the top leagues in the world in a few years' time because they're going to keep buying everybody. And all these people, Landon Donovan, Alexi Lalas, shut up with this stupid MLS push. I understand you love the league. I understand you have a lot of time spent in that league. You both didn't do very well in Europe, especially Alexi Lalas. None of you guys did well over in Europe, so I understand why you've got some sort of disdain for European soccer. But say Christian Pulisic could come to the should come to the MLS right now is the one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. It is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. And I just watched a video before I started recording this. It was of Alexi Laws talking about it. And he was confused about how, man, look at players like Landon Donovan, how much success they had. He played in the MLS for his entire career, essentially, apart from like the move to Bayern Munich and the move to Everton, which we're nothing there. It's like, oh, he had success there. Yeah, but you're pinpointing specific examples. It doesn't work every single time. No player on this team currently that plays in the MLS is worthy of a spot in the quote-unquote A team. None of these players are. I understand Hages Ferrer had seven goals in this game. He was anonymous for two of the games against the two only good two te- the two teams they played, two of the three good teams they played. He was relatively anonymous until he scored against Panama. And, of course, he had the three, the two hat tricks in back-to-back games against St. Nevis and Trinidad and Tobago. I think Jesus Ferrer gets a little too much hate on Twitter, which a lot of players on every single team, regardless of the United States or not, get a, much, a lot of relatively undeserved hate. But Jesus Ferrer is not at that level. And when you listen to guys like Alexi Lawless be confused on why people say Christian Pulisic should stay over in Europe because he's playing the best competition. Why do you think people keep saying Kylian Mbappe won't win a Ballon d'Or until he leaves PSG? Because he's not facing the best players every single day at PSG. We know how good he is. We saw him score a freaking hat-trick in the World Cup Final. We saw him try to carry France against Argentina in the World Cup Final. But people still are like, hey, he needs to move. He's not facing the best competition. Like, if you want to be the best, it makes sense unless you're trying to drive home some stupid-ass narrative that if you want to be the best, you got to compete against the best. And Christian Pulisic is going to one of the biggest clubs in the world in AC Milan. I understand they haven't been at the top of their game this past season, but they just made the freaking semifinals of the Champions League. For what they're doing down in the, in, in the league in regards to their current financial situation... They're still considered one of the top dogs in the world. They just won the league last year. Like AC Milan, they might be in a weird time. They're still AC freaking Milan. And he was trying to say play him for freaking LA Galaxy. No. I don't want, I want to see, now this is a nice little catch 22 here. I want to see the MLS grow. But I want to see the best players in the United States play against the best players in the world. And get the best coaching in the world. Sure, you could still be good and play in the MLS. I'm not saying that's impossible. We've seen it in certain occasions. 
But there's a clear gap in quality with this current team in regards to the players that play in Europe and the players that play in the MLS. There is a clear gap between these sets of players. Look at the midfield, just especially. Christian Roldan is nowhere near Weston McKinney or Eunice Musa or Brendan Aronson or Luca De La Torre or Malik Tillman. He's nowhere near those guys. And he's a relatively good player in the MLS. He was the freaking captain of the All-Star team a year or two ago. He's considered one of the best players in the, in the MLS. Same with Jordan Morris, who has somehow managed to get 55 freaking caps for the United States men's national team. And he's played on the right wing, so I can bring in both right wingers and left wingers here. He's nowhere near Christian Pulisic. He's nowhere near. We're going to bring up Aronson again because he played on the wing. He's nowhere near Timothy Weah. He's nowhere near freaking Taylor Booth, who has two caps from the United States. Like, it's frustrating as hell to hear this stupid MLS push. I understand you have a lot of a lot of stuff tied. I understand you got stock in the MLS. I understand you're part of the people that helped grow the MLS. But the best players in this national team do not play in the MLS. That is a fact. Every player on this current squad, apart from, like, James Sands and Jesus Ferreira, though everybody else on this national team and that's even being nice to Jesus Ferreira and James Sands. I'm being nice right now. None of these players that are playing the MLS on this current squad will should be considered in the A team. Because it doesn't matter if you view this as a C team going to the tournament. This is an utter failure from all facets of it. I said it before and I'll say it again. This tournament is set up for the United States to play Mexico in the final. It is set up for that. Ever, there's a reason that the United States has won seven championships and 17, seven gold cups. Mexico has won eight. There's been one other team that has won a gold cup final, and that's Canada in the 2000, early 2000s. Since then, it has been a Mexico-United States monopoly. It is supposed to be a United States-Mexico monopoly in CONCACAF. But you bring a stupid team, you win stupid prizes by losing to Panama, and now we're pissed off. This is a failure from the top down. The players sucked. The game plan sucked. The squad picking sucked. You didn't take it seriously. The play, the system sucked and the players weren't that good. In the grand scheme of things, you can pinpoint the games. You can take those games against St. Kitts and Nevis and Trinidad Tobago and shove them up your ass for the grand scheme of things. 12 goals is nice. In the three other games, you got outplayed. In the three other games, you got outplayed. Unwatchable first halves in all three of those games against Jamaica, Canada, and Panama. You got played in all three of those first halves. Thankfully, you only allowed one goal in those first halves. Don't know how the hell you managed to swindle that one. Backlines were a mess the entire tournament. And they got more found out as the tournament progressed. Everybody looked great in those two games against St. Nevis and Trinidad Tobago. Mess every other time. Players like Brian Reynolds looked great. In those two games. And he's a European player. So you can't just say I'm blasting the MLS. Or just take the blast of the MLS. Brian Reynolds did not cover himself in any glory. In those last two games. Now that a lot for that second game. Goes down to the system. You play a guy as a right winger. in Julian Gressel. Who's going to tuck out wide. Brian Reynolds is trying to make overlapping runs. Gressel naturally hugs the sideline. So that you're putting two people in the exact same spot. It kind of makes things a little difficult. To work if you're trying to do that. And in this game. Against Panama. Jean-Luc Abusio had no idea where he was supposed to play. He's looking over to BJ Callahan like. Hey what uh, what am I supposed to do? 
Am I, do you want me to play tucked in or do you want me to play outside? Because there was a time early on in the game where the United States was in their 4-3-3 formation and there were gaps all over the field, in the middle of the field. Because Mihailovic and Busio, Ferreira, and freaking Cal were playing touchline to touchline. And it was just freaking James Sands and Brandon Vasquez in the middle of the field. And here's another thing. Were the announcers even at the game? Were they there? Because there were some things that were so far behind of what was actually happening that I'm not 100% convinced that they were actually at the game. I'm not convinced of that. I could be wrong. I don't think Stuart Holden and John Strong were at the game. Because every there were a lot of times there's like, oh, there's a shot from Brandon Vasquez 30 seconds after Brandon Vasquez already shot the ball. Of course, I'm being overdramatic there, but it was way delayed. Like they weren't there. So there's a conspiracy theory for you. Man, frustrating, absolutely frustrating. And the more I look back on this tournament, the more it's like, I can't believe they didn't lose sooner. I'm surprised it took them this long to lose. You go to a penalty shootout and you're just begging Matt Turner to make a save. You got dog-tired players out there. Ferreira's have a full leg cramp late in the extra time. And he takes the first penalty and misses it. And Christian Roldan steps up to take a penalty and misses it. You're just hoping Matt Turner makes a save. Because he saved your ass in the first one. You're hoping he does it here again. Back-to-back games, your first penalty taker missed a kick. When is that ever? I don't remember a time that's happened. Where both games, against Canada, against Panama, both games, your first penalty kicker taker missed the penalty. I don't remember that happening. I don't remember that happening. There's supposed to be that gulf in quality between the United States and all the other CONCACAF nations, but there just wasn't that in this tournament. You have players that are better than a lot of the players in this tournament from other national teams, but that can only get you so freaking far. When your great Berhalter-esque game plan doesn't get you out. You don't have the players for set game plan. You have players that have never played with each other. You look at what happened in the National League Final. Look how awesome they were because they all are familiar with each other. It took Balogun a game because he's got that knowledge. He'll absorb, absorb all that and you see the next game he scores a goal. Some players it's quick for them. Other players it's a little slow. And I'm not going to tell you which players were the slow ones there. But if I had to pinpoint, like, nice performance in this tournament, I thought Dewan Jones played all right. I like Dewan Jones played well. I thought Brian Reynolds in those two games played outstanding. I don't think any center back played that great. I think Jalen Neal was the best, but he didn't look good at all against Canada. He looked super shaky against Canada. I thought James Sands had a very solid tournament. I thought Gianluca Busio had a very solid tournament. As for the forwards, Jesus Ferrer, seven goals. Nice. Nice <laughs> against the th- six of them against two semi-pro teams. I thought Alejandro Zendaya sucked. He was the bright. He was one of the bright spots going into this tournament. I don't know what his national team career stands at right now, but I, it's not as good as what it was before this tournament started. If you're pinpointing probably the worst performance in regards to expectation, it was probably Alejandro Zendaya. If I'm being honest, Brandon Vasquez gets the late goals in this tournament. He looks so awkward with the ball at his feet. He looks so awkward with the ball at his feet. There were times where it's like, hey, just cut it back. And he just falls over his own feet. It's like, dude, come on, man. Like, you were useful in those late game situations where you bailed the United States out and got a goal. But he just looks so awkward when he has the ball on his feet. It's, it's insanely hard to watch. 
But yeah, it, it's done. Aaron Long sucked. Matt Miazga was not great. Matt, the only thing Matt Miazga was known for this tournament was talking shit to the other team. I like Miles Robinson didn't have a great tournament at all. Miles Robinson was in the top four center backs for the United States. He's probably number five right now or number six, depending on how you look at it. Like you look at the center back rankings for the United States, your main ones, I would put the top four in no particular order. Chris Richards, Tim Ream, Austin Trusty, and Cameron Carter-Vickers. And you got Mark McKenzie at number five. Do you have anybody else in there? Did Jalen Neal pass up Miles Robinson? I don't think I'm ready to say that 100% yet, but you have to put him at six based off this tournament. It was not a good tournament at all. How do you get two handballs in the same game? How is that that? You, you got bailed on that game too. Should have been a penalty there. There's a foul on Busio. Foul outweighed the other foul. Which foul happened first? The push on Busio. So that one canceled out the handball. Should have had, got bailed out in that game. In the Jamaica game, he got bailed out because freaking Leon Bailey missed a penalty. And he missed the rebound. Three times. Three games. You got outplayed and you got bailed out. And he had an opportunity to win this one and he didn't take it. Frustrating as all hell. And I'm going to come up with a video here uh, probably next week at some point. And we're going to go over a Copa America squad. And, it, they, hey, there's no guarantee the United States makes Copa America. There's no guarantee. they got to qualify through the Nations League. So we'll see how that one goes here. I don't know if the Gold Cup had any tie into that, but if the Gold Cup had tie into the Copa America, it would sure be nice if they would have brought a decently strong squad or at least a de- developmental squad instead of a dartboard-esque or scattergun approach to here, we're going to pick random players that are very experienced or have experience in the national team and then players who have never played for the national team. We're going to pair Aaron Long, Matt Miazga with John Tolkien and Jalen Neal. <laughs> Guys with all the experience, we're going to play a midfield with Christian Roldan out there and then we're going to have Aiden Morris play with James Sands and Busio, him and Busio only play for the national team when it comes to Gold Cup, it feels like. I don't feel like I see Busio or James Sands at any other point apart from the Gold Cup. And they play good during the Gold Cup. So I think James Sands might have put himself up to that backup, potentially. And we're talking about just defensive midfielders. It'd be interesting how you battle that up between him and Johnny Gardoso for who's the the next number two center defensive midfielder, Tyler Adams. That would be interesting to see how you develop that. But... Yeah, I don't know. If we're talking about stock up, I think James Sands the only one that stocks up. I think maybe, well, Jalen Neal, I'd say stocks up. Dwan Jones relatively stocks up. But those players, we've never seen him play before. So it's kind of a, he kind of had to get stock up. Like Cade Cowell, I think his stock probably went down. If we're being honest, I think his stock probably went down. Zendeha's stock went down. Morris, Morris, Miaz got long. I for Reynolds, I don't know. Would you say their stock went down or theirs didn't change? Because I, the stupid part is Burhalter's coming back, so those guys will all be in the national team again. And we know DeAndre Edlin's going to get a hundred caps for the national team, which is just a crying shame that it's going to happen. We're going to live in a world where DeAndre Edlin has a hundred caps. Hundred caps for DeAndre Edlin. And he didn't play at all in twenty nineteen, or twenty twenty. Sorry. He's never been a guaranteed starter for the national team at right back either. They moved freaking Fabian Johnson to right back <laughs> to keep DeAndre Edlin out. And now you got Serginio Dest and then Brian Reynolds, Joe Scally. Joe Scally's above Brian Reynolds, obviously. 
But yeah, it, it's a uh, not great, not a great end of the tournament. Brutal, brutal way to end the tournament. And now you got Panama versus Mexico, and I'm cheering for Panama. It'd be cool to see Panama win the Gold Cup because then you have another country in there outside of the North American countries because there's you get a Central American country in there. Jesus Ferreira scored against a Caribbean country. Did not really, but you know they're Caribbean now because he scored against them. I don't know if I said this on the show or not, but like, so this would be three. This would be three. <laughs> he scored 12 goals against Caribbean teams. He's only scored now three goals against uh, non-Caribbean teams because, again, Panama's not technically a Caribbean team. They're just south of the Caribbean Sea, but, uh, yeah, they're not technically that. You know we can count them, though. But yeah, cheering for Panama. That game's on Sunday. There's no third place game as far as I'm aware, and I don't really care if there is a third place game. I don't want to watch it. <laughs> they don't do those anymore, thankfully. Again, as far as I'm aware, they, they could break one out just for fun like they did in 2015. I don't remember there being one in 2021. If there was, I'm going to cry. Okay, good, there wasn't. But yeah. Bring an A team to the 2019 one. You bring a B team to 2020 or 2021, and then you bring a C team. To 2023, and then, uh, yeah, you finally lose one. So, yeah, that's what we got for that. That's a, that's a fun, fun stuff. But, yeah, Christian Pulisic, stay over in Europe, my guy. Come to the MLS when your career is over. I don't I don't need to see you in the MLS. I want to see you playing against the best. I want to see you playing against the cha- in the Champions League, which is what you'll be doing with AC Milan. So, I, I don't think this year. I take that back. Not this year. You'll be playing with guys like Rafael Liao. You could be playing with Jonas Musa and Florian Balogun. So you could be getting some more chemistry done with those guys. Mike Mannion in net, baller goalkeeper. I know he didn't have the greatest year this year. There's a fly in my – where did it go? This is annoying. It's like just going around my head. I don't like it. But uh, Fikayo Tamori, played with him at Chelsea. So you got him. Teo Hernandez is there as well. You got a lot of very talented players at AC Milan. Now you got Christian Pulisic as the number 10 pulling the strings, which is going to be awesome to see. Awesome. See, that's how they were linked with the Dama Traore. So he got speed on the right side too, potentially. So could be fun. Could be very, very fun for AC Milan. But yeah, not fun times for the United States men's national team, I should say. Now we're going to switch gears a tiny bit. We're going to go for the men's team who completely bottled the Gold Cup tournament, tournament bringing a C team. We're going to go to the Women's World Cup. We're going to go to the Women's National Team. We got the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand taking place on July 20th. That is the first game of the tournament. That is next Thursday. So we got an, a week from today, from when I'm recording, is the start of the 2023 Women's World Cup. Very fun time. The problem of this is that it's in Australia. So I haven't looked at the times yet. So when when the women's team play, Tha- or not Thailand, they play Vietnam first. They play Thailand in the last World Cup. This game, Vietnam is at, oh, that's at 8 p.m. Okay, that's that's doable. There was one game I saw where it's like some stupid, stupid time. 2 a.m. against Portugal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on August 1st. 2 a.m. Yeah, um, I'm not getting up for that one. It's on a freaking Tuesday. Tuesday morning at 2 a.m. Like, that was like the Qatar World Cup. Like, Messi and played Saudi Arabia. Messi and Argentina played Saudi Arabia at like 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I'm not getting up for that. As much as I would love to watch Messi and Saudi Arabia play... I was not getting up for that. That was there was zero percent chance that happening. Guess what? It didn't happen. It didn't happen. But this World Cup will be fun. This will be a fun World Cup. I, I'm fully expecting spoiler the United States to win this thing again. 
it's not like the biggest world-beating team of all time. I think having Mallory Swanson out is big. But, you know, well, it'll make it work. It'll make it work. You still got Alex Morgan. Megan Rapinoe's last World Cup will be here. Julie Ertz is back. You've got Sauerbun, I think, still there. I need to go through the national team again and see all this stuff. Alyssa Nair, I don't know if I said her name. Uh, Crystal Dunn is still kicking it there. Uh, Rose Lavelle is still there. So you got, you got some good players still. I would fully expect the United States women's national team to go on and win the women's World Cup. Now, we got to go to the tournament. So we got groups A through H. In group A, we've got New Zealand, Norway, the Philippines, and Switzerland. Group B, we got Australia, one of the other hosts. Ireland, Nigeria, and Canada. Group C, we got Spain, Costa Rica, Zambia, and Jamaica. Group D, we got England, Haiti, Denmark, and China. Group E, we got the United States, Vietnam, the Netherlands, and Portugal. So we got a rematch of the last Women's World Cup final between the United States and the Netherlands, who again are without their best players, so that should be interesting to see. Group F, we got France, Jamaica, Brazil, and Panama. Group G, we got Sweden, South Africa, Italy, and Argentina. And Group H, we got Germany, Morocco, Colombia, and Korea. South Korea, I should say. Now, for starting off with the hosts in New Zealand, they're not really on the best run of form. They're not really on the best run of form. So I'm not really having that high of hopes from them. But maybe, just maybe, they get like that random surge that host countries get. I don't understand how it works. But you get like these random boosts. Like Russia took it to Spain. They freaking took it to Spain in the 2018 World Cup. They beat them on freaking penalties. They won their group. They made the freaking quarterfinals of the World Cup. South Africa didn't finish last in their first and only attempt at the World Cup. But New Zealand kind of gets pumped every single game. At least that's what it feels like anyways. So we're not going to have them winning the group. Though it's possible. Though it's possible they could go on to win the group. Uh, we're, we're not going to do that. And you look at the rest of the group, like Switzerland. In, the, in 2023, they have not won a single game. <laughs> they have drawn five. They have drawn five games and lost once. That's not really the greatest run. You could say this about this entire group, too. Now, the Philippines, I should say this, the Philippines, though not the, like, you know, traditional powerhouse that you think of, and against weaker opposition, I guess you could say, they have won five of the last six games. So having that momentum go into a tournament is very important. It is very, very important. And in Norway, similar to that of Switzerland, they've only won one game in 2023, and that came in February. They've lost and drawn every other game this year. And then the, we already talked about New Zealand, but New Zealand is not really coming in on the... They've won their last game. They won their last game, but they have lost on every game apart from that win and then another one which they drew against Iceland. And they have been pumped numerous times. Every game they lost this year, they did not score a single goal. They did not score any goals in the games they lost. They got pumped 4 nothing and 5 nothing by the United States, 5 nothing by Portugal, 2 nothing by Argentina, 1 nothing by Argentina, 3 nothing by Nigeria. So we're not really starting off with New Zealand coming into the tournament with the best run of form, which is not what you want. So we're going to have Norway win the group. We're going to have Norway win the group. I do think there's going to be something there with the host, but we're going to go Switzerland second, we'll go New Zealand, and then the Philippines bring up the rear. I do think, though the form is terrible, and there's a chance they could finish last in this group, I do think them being one of the hosts will be big. I do think that will help them to a certain extent. Because it always seems to do, it always seems to do, it always Seems to do that. <laughs> so we're going to go with a little bit of help there. As for the other hosts, 
in Australia, um, historically they're a little bit better of a national team. In 2023, they've only lost one game. They've won every other game they played. And they've scored quite a bit of goals in every game they play. And the last game they actually did play was against England, and they won 2-0. They play France tomorrow, or today, when the show comes out. So we'll see how that one goes for them. But Australia, historically, are a little bit better than uh, your other country in uh, the, what the hell, New, Ze- New Zealand. <laughs> Ireland, not coming in the greatest form either. They had a really good 2022, and a really good 2022. But 2023, they've only had one win. It was against Zambia. They won 3-2. to two. They lost to the United States twice, which you know which happens, and lost to France. So it's not like they're playing a bunch of sorry teams they're losing. You know, they're playing some tough, tough teams. And then you got Nigeria. They've won their last three games. And one of those games was actually against New Zealand. They beat Haiti and Costa Rica in that as well. They did come off a nice six-game losing streak where they scored two goals in said losing streak. But again, they lost to the United States twice. So, you know, that happens. And then we got Canada. Historically, very solid. Very solid nationally. I mean, Christine St. Clair is still there. I don't know how Christine Sinclair is still kicking it, but she is still freaking there. I watched her when she was playing it when I was a kid. She is 40 years old now. She's freaking 40. Now, I am going to go to Australia winning this group because I do think the host will, that will help them. I'm going to go Canada second, go Ireland third, and Nigeria last. I do think Australia will have that little bit of momentum. I think they're a better national team than New Zealand, so I'm going to have them winning it. So Canada could definitely win this group. I'm not really concerned about Canada. I think they'll be fine, but yeah. That's how we're going to have that one go. Group C, we got Spain, Costa Rica, Zambia, and Japan. Japan obviously have played the United States in World Cup Finals in the past years. Spain's coming on some very nice form. In 2023, they've lost once, and they've won every other game since. They've won one, two, three, four, five, six games in 2023 and lost once. And you look back to 2022... The last few games of 2022, they won their last three games. By combined score, 10 nothing, And they beat the United States in that time frame as well. So that's something to say. That's something very important right there. And then you got Japan, who again, very solid national team traditionally. Very solid national team. Again, met the United States in a few finals in the early 2010s. Met them in the World Cup final twice. I think they met them in the Olympic final as well, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. Could be wrong about that. But Japan usually performs well at these tournaments. And they got Costa Rica. They won their last game against Haiti, but have struggled recently. They lost their past th- five games before that game against Haiti. That's 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 not great. That's not great. And then Zambia. I, I'm sorry, Zambia. I'm just not going to really have a lot of faith for you. I'm sorry. But we're going to go Spain. We're going to go Japan. We're going to go Costa Rica and then Zambia. That's how we're going to finish this. But Spain, I think, is a relative. They beat the United States. They beat the freaking United States. So you got to give them some respect there. Group D... England, I'm not I'm not gonna lie here. I think England's got a pretty easy route to winning this group. England's a very solid national team. In the past two years, they've lost one game. Now, that one game came two games ago, and their past three games, they've drawn two and lost once. So not the greatest from they lost to Australia in said run. It's not ideal. Not ideal. No, I take that back. They did win on penalties against Brazil. They did win on they did beat Brazil on penalties, but it just says one one in their in their scoreline. But England, I'm not really fussed. I think they'll go on to win their group. As far as Denmark, I like Denmark in tournaments. It doesn't matter if it's the men's or women's team. I like Denmark in tournaments. I'll always like Denmark in tournaments. And China will be tough. China's a very, very tough team. But I don't... I, and I'm sorry, Haiti. I think you're just coming last. But again, I like Denmark in these tournaments. So I'm going to go England, Denmark, China, and Haiti. I really, li- I really like Denmark in tournaments. I feel like they're always a dark horse in tournaments. 
for whatever reason, whether you actually think they're a dark horse or not, they always seem to cause some sort of issue in these tournaments. Now, Group E. Group E. Now, I've got a, an order pretty much already picked out in my head. <laughs> but having the United States and the Netherlands in the same group automatically makes the group of death. And then you got Portugal in there as well. Now, the last group we mentioned, that England-Denmark-China group, that's a tough group. That's a very tough group right there. But the Group E is probably your group of death here. But you look at the United States roster. Ashley Nair, Alyssa Nair, sorry, and Nett. Kelly O'Hara still, did I say Sauerbrum still in the squad? No, she didn't get called up to the squad. I, she's still playing, but she didn't get called up to the squad. Kelly O'Hara is still in the squad. Emily Sonnet in the squad. Crystal Dunn, we brought her up earlier. Julia Ertz is back in the squad. Lindsey Horan, Rose Lavelle. Uh, Christy Mewis. We got Alex Morgan, Mega Rapino, Trinity Rodman. Should recognize that last name. Rodman. Very familiar with a lot of people over here in the States. But I think the United States got enough to win this group. It's the United States in the Women's World Cup. Why would I be crazy? I'd be crazy to say they won't win this group, even though they've got some tough competition in there. The Netherlands are a tough team. They're a very, very tough team. But again, as we've mentioned before, Vivian Medema is injured, who's their best player. That's a big loss. That is a massive loss. Now, Leaky Martins, good player as well. But not having your talisman in your squad, that kind of is important. And you got inexperience in net. So it's similar to that of the men's national team. Very lack of experience, very, a lot of lack of experience in net. In Portugal, they're coming off the, before like April of this year. They had a really good stretch. They had a very nice long winning streak, but then they lost a game against Japan. They drew back to back games against Wales and England. And they just beat Ukraine. So that's, it's, you know, it's something. But in Vietnam, I'm sorry, we're not going to have a lot of faith in you. Maybe you could do something. Maybe you could surprise me. But I'm not really happy. Maybe you upset Portugal, but I am going to go Netherlands, Portugal, Vietnam. So United States, Netherlands, Portugal, Vietnam. And we got Group F. France is going to be the favorites here opening up this group. One of the favorites, anyways. The men's and women's national team are relatively always solid. And France coming in of great, very good form. Very, very good form. They've won five of the last six games. Scored a lot of goals in these games as well. Only, only once did they not score more than one goal. And that was against Denmark. Denmark's always a very tough national team. Always, always a very tough national team. Always a very tough national team. In Brazil, they're tough as well. They're always tough. Brazil's always a good team. And Marta, much only brought about with Christine St. Clair, is still playing. For the longest time, Marta was cons- widely considered the best player on the planet. Widely considered the best player on the planet. And she could still be considered one of the top players of the planet, even at 37 years old. But the best player currently... On the face of the planet, sorry, i got to make sure I find the... Uh, Alexia Pluta, Putellas. Sorry, Alexia Putellas. Ballon d'Or winner for Spain. So she's another reason why we're saying Spain go through. I, had to go, I didn't mention her earlier, but I had to go back and mention her name here. But Brazil, always tough. Always a tough one. And then you got two uh, Central American countries with Panama and Jamaica. We're not really holding out a lot of hope here. I'm sorry. Jamaica, they just got blasted 3-7. to seven. In their last game. When they lose games, they lose hard. <laughs> that's, that's the main thing I would say about Jamaica. As for Panama, they're coming in off a 7 nothing loss. So we can easily go France-Brazil. And then we're kind of cutting... We're kind of, you know, going a little... I don't know. 7 nothing. But they did beat Gibraltar 7 nothing in their second to last game. So maybe there's something for that. Jamaica, this one's kind of like a 50-50 shot. I'm not really concerned about either one of them qualifying for the knockout stage. Man, but Jamaica, 
You look at their 7-3 loss. To, they got a freaking Iowa versus South Dakota State scoreline right there. And he got 5-2, to two, which, again, could be an Iowa scoreline from last year. Lost to Australia, lost to the Czech Republic, lost to Spain. And you look at Panama again. Uh, I'm going to go Panama-Jamaica. That's how we're going to do that. I'm not confident in saying that, but we're going to I have no real rhyme or reason for that, but we're going to go Panama versus Jamaica. Group G, initially, my eyes get turned to Sweden. It's maybe because I'm of Swedish heritage, but Sweden, always solid. Always a solid national team. I'm going to say they win the group just straight up. Always solid national team. If I... If, if it can happen, United States-Sweden would be my pick for the final, but we'll have to see if that can actually happen. And then Italy didn't make the Men's World Cup, so it's nice to see them in the Women's World Cup. <laughs> and then you got Argentina, the men's reigning world champions. They're coming in off five games with zero, uh, one loss, I guess. They lost on penalties to Venezuela. They did it again. 6-7 on penalties. Did it again. Italy versus, and then South Africa. I'm sorry, South Africa, you're coming in last. There's really, I'm not going to really try to explain that. You lost 5 nothing to Botswana, so I'm not really going to sit here and go, this is why South Africa is going to come in last. No, that's, there's really, it's pretty self-explanatory at this one. I think, though, I'm going to go Italy and then Argentina and then South Africa. That's a tough group. That's a tough group as well. These groups are pretty stacked. I will say this. These groups are pretty stacked. I will give them that. And then Group H, we got Germany, Morocco, Colombia, and South Korea in the last group. Germany, the number two currently ranked team in the in the world right now. But hey, they're coming off a loss to Zambia. They're coming off a loss to Zambia. So, not coming in with the greatest you know, feeling. And that's their last game. Their last game was a loss to Zambia. So, they might be the number two team ranked team in the world right now. But, uh, yeah, losing to a team like Zambia. No offense to Zambia. That's not great for the confidence, I would say. But I do still... That being said, do expect them to still win the group. Now, Morocco, I, <laughs> I'm sorry. I think you're going to come in last. That's fine. You know, somebody has to come in last. It's just probably going to be Morocco. It's probably going to be Morocco. Now we're battling between South Korea and Colombia. South Korea is coming off three straight wins. Now, before that, they're coming off three straight losses to England, Belgium, and Italy. They did beat Zambia twice in Haiti. So their losses are a little bit better competition, you would think, than their wins. And then you look at Colombia... Uh, kind of back and forth. Like, they drew against Panama. They lost, they, they beat Panama. And then they lost two games to France and Italy. Then they drew Mexico. They beat Nigeria. And they lost. They drew with Costa Rica. I think I'm going to go Korea and then Colombia. I think that's how we're going to do it. So, yeah. That's my predictions for the group stage anyways. So, we got Group A. We have got Norway, Switzerland, New Zealand, and the Philippines. Again, I think that home crowd will help push the uh, New Zealand a little bit more. Then you got Group B, Australia, shocking everybody in winning the group. Just off home pride, home country pride, beating Canada. Canada's a tough team. I I would not be shocked if Canada won this group. Would not be shocked if all of Canada won this group. And then Ireland and then Nigeria. Group C, Spain, Japan. There, I think Spain might be the biggest competition for the United States in this tournament. I think Spain will be tough, if, if we're being honest. And then Japan, Costa Rica, and then Zambia and last. Group D, we got England, Denmark, China, and Haiti. In Group E, we got the United States, Netherlands, Portugal, and then Vietnam. Uh, I don't think Vietnam will be that 13 nothing game like we saw in the last World Cup for the United States. I think that'll be a little bit tougher than that. I think the United States will win comfortably, but it'll be a little tougher than 13 nothing. Group F, we got France, Brazil, Panama, and then Jamaica. That Jamaica-Panama game, you can flip that however you want. You can flip that however you freaking want. I don't care. Group G, we got Sweden, Italy, Argentina, and South Africa. 
the group H, we've got Germany, South Korea, Colombia, and Morocco. You know, I might, it's third versus fourth, but I might change Jamaica versus, uh, what was it, Panama. We might change that. Hold on. Neither one of them are very good. That's the problem. And Jamaica's coming in in a worse form. They've lost five games this year. Five games out of seven. We're going a lot on form here. And Japan, Panama's coming off a 7 nothing loss to Spain. So do I think... You know what? We'll go Jamaica above Panama. We'll go Jamaica above Panama. Last second change. I understand they won 7 nothing previously, but that loss 7 nothing against the better teams is big. You're not playing anybody as low as Gibraltar. You're playing two teams that are very good in France and Brazil. They'll get pumped. So I think they might finish last on goal difference is my biggest takeaway there. Group G, again, did I say Sweden, Italy, Argentina, South Africa, and then Group H, Germany, South Korea, Colombia, and Morocco. And then we got the round of 16. We got Norway versus Japan. We've got Spain versus Switzerland, United States versus Italy, Sweden, Netherlands. Ooh, that's a tough-ass game right there. Australia, Denmark, England, Canada, France, South Korea, Germany, and Brazil. Uh, Japan versus Norway. Uh... My head's saying Japan, just right off the bat, is saying Japan. That's what my gut's telling me. Head and gut is telling me Japan. Just should I go with that? Just go with Japan? Japan always does well in these tournaments. They always do well in these tournaments. But freaking Norway went to the quarterfinals in the last World Cup. What did Japan do in the last World Cup? Hold on, I'm just I'm just stifling back my information here. Where did Japan go in the last World Cup? They made it to the group stage. Oh, no, 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 no. They made it to round 16. They lost to the Netherlands. Okay, they got paired up against the Netherlands. Um, should we go with Norway? Erling Holland just got named on the cover of uh, EA, was it FC or whatever it's called? So they're in the court. They made the quarterfinals. They made the round 16, the group stage. So they've gotten better each time. So if we're going by that, they went group stage, round of 16, quarterfinals. So semifinals make the most sense, right? So I think we're going to go Norway over Japan, just to start off. I think Spain over Switzerland. I think United States over Italy. Sweden versus the Netherlands. Ooh, that's a tough one. Do I go with my my nation's pride, or do I, <laughs> do I go with, uh, you know what? No, we're going to go Sweden. We're going to go Sweden. We're going to go Sweden. Australia versus Denmark. I think, again, that national pride, I think they'll push them through here. England versus Canada. Ooh, that's a tough one. England versus Canada. That is a matchup and a half right there. England versus Canada. I'm probably going to edge towards England. I just saw that fly just flew right past my face. We're going to go... Get out of here, dude. We're going to go England. France versus South Korea. We're going to go France and then Germany. So just the group winners, that's kind of boring. Do I pick Canada just for fun? No, we'll pick England still. Uh, Denmark, I, Denmark could definitely beat Australia. I could definitely see that one happening. Do I want to say Denmark goes through just for fun? Do I want to say that they haven't... Ah, oh, jeez, I didn't even know they haven't qualified for a World Cup in forever. I didn't know that. I'd be a little lost on that one. Or do I go Australia for the home crowd? Do I go Australia for the home crowd? I might go for Australia for the home crowd. Oh, I forgot. They got freaking... Um, what's her name? Uh, Where's she at? Is she not on the team anymore? Where's she at? Who am I thinking of? Sam Kerr, is she not, oh, she, am I missing Sam Kerr? Did she not get called up for the national team here? She's the player I know off the Australian national team. 
hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, I don't, I don't, she's not mentioned on the roster, but she's the captain of the squad. I, oh no, there she is. I, she was at the very bottom of the list. Okay. Now we're going to go Sam Kerr. We're going to go Sam Kerr there. One of the best players in the world too. So we're going to go Sam Kerr. United States, Norway. We're going to go to the United States. Sweden versus Spain. We're going to go Spain. Australia, France. Uh, we're going to Australia. We're going to Australia. England, Germany. Um, what do we think for England, Germany? Do I go boring and go the best, the the nation, the um, second best team in the world just off rankings, or do I go England? I mean, England's fourth, so it's not like we're really we're not really saying a whole lot here. I'm fairly confident with my United States and Spain picks, but Australia, France, that one's interesting. I might go Australia, you know. I might go Australia, but I think it. I, no, I'm going to go France. I'm going to go France. France over Australia. England, Germany. Germany always seems to have England's number in tournaments, apart from Euro 2020, where England ended up beating them. But it, throughout history, it seems like Germany's always got England's number. It always feels like Germany's got England's number. So is this the time where England rewrites history <laughs> and they take out Germany in a tournament? Is that what happens here? I think it is. We're going to go England over Germany. So we got a semifinal, United States, Spain, France, and Germany. We're going to go with the United States. And France versus England. Ooh. France versus England. How do I want to do this? France versus England. So we already went over France or went over England. How do I want to look at France? France is always seems tough, don't they? I think we're going to go France. I think that's what my gut's telling me, France. We're going to go France, and then we're going to the United States. We're going to go to the United States. 31% of the players also predicted the United States win. England was second. So that's my Women's World Cup predictions right there. Huh. I should screenshot this because I'll probably lose this. I don't have an account on the Telegraph, so I might lose this. So I might as well screenshot this now just so I have it. Then we got round of 16. Hold up, people. Sorry, I'm screenshotting here. Getting my information all down so I have it available so I can talk about it per group or per game and stuff. But I think it's kind of... The United States has to win this stupid thing, right? It just feels... It feels weird to say anybody else would win this. Maybe I'm biased, but they've won the past two. So it makes sense to say they'd win their third in a row. Or are they going for four in a row? I, I kind of get lost with all this. Are they going for four in a row? I think it's just three in a row, right? It's just three in a row. Yeah, it's just three in a row. They've won four already. This will be four in a row. So, yeah, we got the United States beating France in the final. I think Australia's going to have that little crazy run here, but I think France will just be enough for them. Spain's tough, though. Spain will be the United States' biggest test, I think. If they end up meeting in the semifinal, that'll be a tough-ass game. That'll be a tough, 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 tough-ass game. They got the best player in the world. I mean, you could say Alex Morgan's the best player in the world or Megan Rapinoe's the best player in the world, but Putella's, she's back to, I think she's back to back Ballon d'Or winner, isn't she? She plays over for Barcelona. I think she's back to back Ballon d'Or winner. But yeah, that's my predictions. Group stage, group A, we got Norway, Switzerland, New Zealand, and the Philippines. Group B, Australia, Canada, Republic of Ireland, and Nigeria. Group C, Spain, Japan, Costa Rica, and Zambia. Group D, England, Denmark, China, Haiti. 
Group E, we got the United States, Netherlands, Portugal, and Vietnam. Group F, France, Brazil, Jamaica, and Panama. And then Group G, Sweden, Italy, Argentina, South Africa. Group H, Germany, South Korea, Colombia, and Morocco. Group round of 16, we got Norway beating Japan. We've got Spain beating Switzerland. We got the United States beating Italy. Sweden beating the Netherlands. Australia beating Denmark. England beating Canada. France beating South Korea. And Germany beating Brazil. Then we got the quarterfinals. United States beating the beating Norway. Spain beating Sweden. France beating Australia. And then England beating Germany. Semifinals, we got the United States beating Spain. France beating England. And we got United States beating France in the freaking final. Which means... The United States women's national team goes back to back to back. Back to back to back. In the Women's World Cup. That's what we love to see. But yeah, I could be extremely biased there. And that's fair. I think you can say I'm biased with that as well. I don't I don't really care. I don't really care. I think that's how it's gonna go down. I'd be crazy to I'd be be crazy for me to predict anybody else is gonna win this thing. Absolutely redonkulous. To think anybody else is winning this thing other than the United States is crazy. Absolutely crazy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, maybe someone could come. Oh, you got the A team for the United States win the Nations League final. So that's something. And they could potentially win the Copa America next year. That'll be fun to look at if the United States again. We have to make it first. But And, you know, I say we have to make it. It's for a pretty much a foregone conclusion. But we said that before. We've said that before. And I said in one of the videos, history can repeat itself. The United States needing a result against Trinidad Tobago when they lost to them in the World Cup qualifying in 2017. I got it wrong, but history repeated itself again in the Gold Cup. The United States lost to Panama on a penalty shootout. Not fun. Never fun for the United States <laughs> to lose to freaking Panama on... Oh, God, it sucks just even thinking about it. Sucks just even thinking about it. But before we end today's show, it's been a soccer-specific episode today on the Logan Blackman Show, but we've got tournaments to talk about. We got freaking tournaments to talk about. We got players transferring from the United States. We got freaking Christian Pulisic going to AC Milan. We got Jonas Musa potentially up in the air. Florian Balogun up in the air. Austin Trusty's probably going to get loaned out somewhere. You got Weston McKinney just got told he's not in Juventus' future plans. So we'll see where he goes. So, yeah, we've got Matt or Ethan Horvath. We don't know where he's going to play this next season. So, we got a lot of options here. We got a lot of options here. And while we're talking about trophies, let's talk about some people that have not won trophies. Just real quick, just real quick. Best college player that did not win the Heisman Trophy. Uh, it's Vince Young. It's Vince Young. Because if I rank the top five quarterbacks in college football history, Vince Young is number three. So, or maybe even number one or two, depending on how you want to look at it. Vince Young. Probably should have won it at one of his points throughout his college career. They've also got Andrew Luck, Adrian Peterson, Chris McCaffrey, Peyton Manning, and Trevor Lawrence pictured here. But it's got to be Vince Young. Chuck Long could be another one. Brad Banks could be another one. Chuck Long was the closest Heisman race ever until I think think oh crap who was it there was one that beat it it was like really really close one that beat it but I don't remember what the one it was but Chuck Lumber's Bo Jackson was one of the closest Heisman Trophy races of all time and then you have Brad Banks winning every single trophy apart from the Heisman Trophy and then getting blasted by USC in the Orange Bowl that's not important though but he's one that you could definitely mention up there as well but Peyton Manning would obviously be one there Charles Woodson won it the year Peyton Manning won it freaking Devontae Smith Won it the year Trevor Lawrence could have won it. Andrew Luck was RG3. Chris McCaffrey would have been... Uh, who, would have, who would have been Chris McCaffrey's year? Was that Derrick Henry? Was Derrick Henry the year Chris McCaffrey should have won the Heisman? I think it might have been a quarterback. Who was that? Chris McCaffrey was drafted in 2017. He was drafted 8th. Who was the number one overall pick? 
Because it was Miles Garrett, Trubisky, then third overall pick. Miles Garrett, Trubisky, third overall pick. Because then Fournette was fourth, fifth was Corey Davis, sixth was Jamal Adams, seventh was Mike Williams, eighth was Chris McCaffrey, ninth was John Ross. Who was third? Who was third overall pick in the 2017 NFL draft? Third overall pick. Deshaun Watson didn't win. Deshaun Watson could be mentioned up there. Forty did at Clemson. But who was the number three pick of the 2017 NFL draft? Why am I blanking on this so much? Because Joey Bosa was the number one, number three overall pick in 2016. 2018 was Sam Darnold. 2019 was those Kyler Murray's drafts. That was Quinn and Williams. Just signed a massive contract just today or yesterday. 2020. Third overall pick was Jeff Okuda. 2021 was Trey Lance. No. No, 2021. Yeah, yeah, 2021 was Trey Lance. 2022 was... Who was the 2022 NFL draft? Who went number one overall there? Trayvon Walker, Aiden Hutchinson. Derek Stanley was third overall. And then this past year, Bryce Young... C.J. Stroud, Willie Anderson was the third overall pick. But who was 2017? Why am I completely blanking on 2017's draft? Why? Because I can't even remember what position it was. I, my gut is like, for whatever reason, saying Dante Fowler. I don't, it wasn't Dante Fowler. He was drafted earlier than that. Solomon Thomas, good Lord. I know it was a defensive end, but good God, Solomon Thomas. What team is Solomon Thomas on now? He's on the freaking Jets. I had, you know what? Fair play. No idea he was on the Jets. No idea he was on the Jets. And who would have thought Trubisky would be the Pro Bowler and Solomon Thomas would not be? When everybody thought Solomon Thomas was the easy win there. Now they're both on their third team. <laughs> now they're both on their third team. But man, I saw this today or a couple days ago, I guess. And it was, well, we're talking about the draft. Uh, Dame Bulg, bro, yeah, geez, sorry. Dame Brugler, sorry, posted his top 10 quarterbacks for the next year's draft. Or top five? Was it top 10 or top five? It might have been just top five. It, w- it was top seven, kind of. So, and then he had, like, a mixture of other ones. So we'll talk about that here. So number one, and we'll compare it to mine. We'll compare it to mine. So we made this a month or two ago. Like, this is a while ago that we made this stupid thing. We posted this all the way back May 19th. We were almost two months from when we posted this, and Dane Brugler posted his on the 10th, I think. Yeah, July 10th, so a couple days ago, so Monday. Yeah, Monday. And he had Caleb Williams 1, Drake May at number 2, which is fair. And I, I've said this before. I wouldn't be shocked if Drake May ended up being number 1 pick in the draft. I wouldn't be surprised by that, given his size. I would not be surprised by that. And the fact that he's working with less than Caleb, Caleb Williams is. And he has J.J. McCarthy 3, with J.J. McCarthy at number 4. I think it's clear to see why J.J. McCarthy's number three or four. He's got a lot of potential. It's just a matter of if he can fit, reach said potential. That's the big issue with J.J. McCarthy. And the offense they run. They run a very run-heavy offense that can either help him or hurt him. He's got Riley Leonard fourth. We didn't have Riley Leonard in here originally, but I can definitely see why Riley Leonard's in here. We had him in the honorable mention section, but I can definitely see why Riley Leonard's missing there. I like Riley Leonard a lot, but we didn't have him in there at that time. And he plays for Duke, so that's everybody likes Duke quarterbacks nowadays. Quinn Ewers at five. We had him at number three. 
I think he's talented, and I think the offense that he's in this year will definitely help him out. Uh, I think him and Xavier Worthy could go out, go off this year. I think not having Bijan Robinson or Roshan Johnson in the backfield is big too, so that will give him an added, what do you want to call it, added emphasis on him performing well this year, which could either hurt him or break him, and he got Arch Manning behind him too, so there's a lot of things that could definitely help him this year, but could also hurt him. Uh, number six, he had Bo Nix. We had Bo Nix at number seven. But I can see Bo Nix at six. That's fine. I like Bo Nix. Bo Nix is a touchdown freaking machine, so I understand why he's there. Then he had... Oh, wait, then he's done. Then he's done. But he had Jordan Travis after Bo Nix, and he's got the preseason top 20 senior quarterbacks, and then he's got uh, preseason top 12, 10 el- draft eligible underclassmen. So the top 20 preseason senior quarterbacks are Bo Nix, Jordan Travis, who we have at number eight. Yeah, number eight. Then Michael Penix, we had number six. Jaden Daniels, who we have at number nine. Yeah. And then Joe Milton, who we have at number six. We're going on upside, or number five, sorry. I think his talent's insane. I understand why people wouldn't draft him because of his age. He's going into his sixth year of college football. So I understand why people wouldn't like him from that aspect, but he's super talented. I think with Tennessee's offense, he could put up some gaudy numbers this year. Uh, Austin Reed from Western Kentucky. We talked about him the other day. Yeah, it makes sense. Michael Pratt from Tulane. Like we said in the, co- the college football top 50 quarterbacks list, he should have been higher on that. I like Michael Pratt. Spencer Rattler at eight. I'm going off of what he did towards the end of the season. We had number 10. He has a number eight in his senior quarterbacks. I think Spencer Rattler could have a very good season. Next year, another year in the system. Performed well later in the year. So I think that's important building into this season. The Devin Leary at nine. KJ Jefferson, 10. Sam Hartman, 11. Keaton Slovis, 12. Gavin Harrison, or Hardison, sorry, from UTEP at 13. Cameron Ward at 14, who I think should be a little bit higher. I think he should be higher than Keaton Slovis and Sam Hartman, for sure. And then we got Cameron Rising at 15. Grayson McCall at 16. Carter Bradley from South Alabama at 17. Colin Schley from UCLA at 18. Phil Yurkovic at 19. I think he should be a tiny bit higher with Will Rogers at 20. DJ Uyagalele at number 21. Curtis Wark from Ohio at 22. Will Howard from Kansas State at 23. Brennan Armstrong from NC State at 24. And Jalen Daniels from Kansas at 25. Jalen Daniels is a weird one because he's a very, very good quarterback. But he plays for Kansas, which does not bode well for the consistency in regards to how good this team's going to be, which could halter his success to a certain extent. And he's not very big. So that will that will affect him a little bit. We'll have to see. And then preseason top 10 draft eligible underclassmen. He's got Caleb Williams, Drake May, J.J. McCarthy, Riley Leonard, Quinn Ewers, Shadur Sanders, Carson Beck, Tyler Van Dyke, Jackson Dart, and Kyle McCord. Again, I think Kyle McCord's a safe one just because of the fact he could put up insane numbers with that receiving core with Emeka Ibuka and Marvin Harrison Jr. I think that's very fair. Tyler Van Dyke, it just matters. It matters if he can revert back to the Tyler Van Dyke that we saw two years ago because he's a very solid quarterback. Jackson Dart, excited to see what he can do this year. Again, like we talked about with Quinn Ewers, Having Spencer Sanders behind him will definitely push him. Carson Beck, Georgia quarterbacks always are, are interesting to me. I think he's more talented than Stetson Bennett, than uh, Jake Fromm, so that could help him a little bit. And then Shadur Sanders, my biggest issue with Shadur Sanders is Colorado's coming up with 1-11 season, and they've lost a lot of people. I think that's for the benefit, for their future, because you finished 1-11. I think people are kind of missing that point, that this team was complete trash. So you're bringing in these players, but it'll take some time to gel. I don't know if they'll be amazing this year. I think they could win five games this year, and that'd be perfectly. I'd be perfectly content with that. As a first year, as a project, you improve four games. 
maybe you go six or seven wins. Like you just go to like respectable territory, and everybody loves you. And everybody loves you. And Shadur Sanders is talented enough to definitely be mentioned in that conversation. But it's just a matter of how good this team is. That's my biggest issue. I don't know how good this team will be. It scares me a little bit. And the only quarterback that I have on my list that he didn't, or two quarterbacks I have on my list that he didn't mention are Theo Day from you and I and Sam Heward from Cal Poly, transfer from Washington. So yeah, those are the only two differences that we really have. Every other quarterback we have is the same quarterback, but just in a different order. And we can update that. I want to start doing like running back receivers and all that stuff as well. Because I, I see like receivers lists, running back lists. Dane Brugler just posted a running back list. So I kind of want to get my running back stuff out there as well. But we're getting some stalker stuff in right now. Had to go over the, the Gold Cup. The United States completely screwing up the Gold Cup. We got to go over the Women's World Cup of the United States going for a three-peat, going for the fifth World Cup. So yeah, I think that's stuff we had to talk about. But I want to get to some top NFL college football stuff again too. We always talk about that with like Brady's on and stuff like that. But for the individual shows, I got to make it a little bit interesting. But do I have anything else I really want to talk about? Oh, best helmets in college football. I saw this the other day. Best helmets in college football. I think the best, my favorite helmet in college football is probably Michigan's or Florida State's. One of those two. Notre Dame's is always sweet. The Gold Dome. I think that's sweet. If we're milling around Mount Rushmore of helmets, I do Florida State, Michigan, Notre Dame, and then Ohio State. I like the Buckeyes that they got on it. Nice silver. Got the Buckeyes. They're all classic helmets. They've never really been changed. Florida State's been changed a little bit, but for the most part, that helmet stayed relatively the same throughout their history. I love that helmet. Love that helmet. Florida State, Boise, or Florida State, Michigan, Ohio State, Notre Dame. I think those are the four best helmets in college football. And with that, we're talking about Mount Rushmore of helmets. I did a Mount Rushmore week on Cole and Company this week, and I just want to go over some of my Mount Rushmore picks just for you. I don't have Cole's picks with me, but here's mine that we have on here. Uh, first day was top quarterbacks in Iowa history, which was Iowa, Iowa State, and you and I. So for Iowa, we had Brad Banks, Drew Tate, Ricky Stanzi, and C.J. Bethard. Iowa State, we had Seneca Wallace, Brock Purdy, Brett Meyer. And then for jokes and lols, I had Steele Jantz because of the fact he beat Iowa both times. And that was a year or a couple years where all Paul Rhodes could do was beat Iowa. So having Steel Jantz be that guy, the Iowa killer, I think that's important. I don't, I, I don't really care for Sage Rosenfeld's getting mentioned in there. I can see like honorable mentions being mentioned in there, like Austin or Nod for giving the numbers that he put up. Sage Rosenfeld's obviously just because people know him from the NFL. And Joel Lanning can be mentioned. Jared Barnett can be mentioned in there. There's a few other quarterbacks to be mentioned, but I think the top three are solidified. That last place is kind of up in the air. For you and I, I had Eric Sanders. I had Theo Day. Eric Sanders, national championship contending quarterback for you and I. Easily, he's the only like guaranteed guy at number one. Eric Sanders, every person that follows United football knows Eric Sanders. Then Theo Day is the current quarterback there. Jay Johnson, who's the guy that started above Kurt Warner. Then we have Kurt Warner there as well. Just for, I know, I I don't picture him as you and he only started there for one year, but I have to give him some plaudits just because it's Kurt Warner. But Jay Johnson started over him for three years. So I got to, Jay Johnson definitely over him. And then we had running backs day two. Same premise, Iowa State, you and I, top running backs in the state. Uh, for Iowa, it was Sean Green, Tavian Banks, Liddell Betts, and Cedric Shaw. But honorable mentions to Fred Russell, Mark Wiseman, Albert Young, and then Ronnie Harmon, who was not in the – so I should have said this before. This was just 90s, 1990 beyond. So there's no pre-90s. So Ronnie Harmon was before the 90s, Bill's legend, but I had to give him a shout-out. But Cedric Shaw and Fred Russell, Liddell Betts, you can rotate those guys whatever you want. But Sean Green, Tavian Banks, I think, are number one and two. Iowa State – 
Troy Davis, Brees Hall, David Montgomery, and Alexander Robinson. Darren Davis, Stevie Hicks were other people that I thought of there as well. Alexander Robinson was just more recent. That was my main thing. Darren Davis put up better numbers than Alexander Robinson, but I had to give some respect to Alexander Robinson there. But I think the top three are solidified. You and I, I had David Johnson, Corey Lewis, David Horn, and then Don Williams. Don Williams was more for solidifying the run game for you and I. He never put up any gaudy numbers or anything. But you and I, one of their big issues in the offense the past however many years was finding a, a legit running back. And then him with Vance McShane, I thought they did an excellent job being a one-two back combination. I think Don Williams being the focal point of that. I think he deserves some love there. Uh, day three, we did the GOATs from each team. So Iowa, Iowa State, you and I. So the GOATs from Iowa, I had Dallas Clark, Bob Sanders, Brad Banks, and Sean Green. But Robert Gallery could have easily rotated with Sean Green. Robert Gallery was the dude. He was the number two overall pick in the Eli Manning, Phillip Rivers, J.P. Lossman draft. So, like, you've got to give him some love there. He didn't work out, like, insanely at tackle in the NFL, but at guard, he was awesome. And then Brandon Scherf there as well. Tim Dwight, Chad Greenway. Uh, he meant, Cole mentioned Chad, uh, Jack Campbell, who I didn't even think of. But, yeah, I you could rotate Robert Gallery in there for Sean Green, but... It's basically that T, that era of Iowa football that won the, went to the Orange Bowl with Brad Banks, Bob Sanders, Dallas Clark, and Robert Gallery. But Sean Green, man, that was I loved Sean Green. That was a hard overhead type thing. Iowa State, we had Troy Davis, Brees Hall, Will McDonald, and then Seneca Wallace slash Brock Purdy. It's kind of however you wanted to look at it for quarterback. Will McDonald's the Big 12's all-time leading sack hitter. Like, that's a record that Von Miller holds. He was the first Iowa State draft first first round draft pick in Iowa State history since in the fit like. I got to reword that. He's the first first-round draft pick in 50 years for Iowa State. So I feel like that's got to be mentioned in there. Troy Davis and Brees Hall are just awesome. And then you and I, we had Bryce Pop, David Johnson, Eric Sanders, and then Dedrick Moore. Or Dedrick Ward, sorry. Dedrick Ward was an awesome wide receiver for you and I. Brad Meester, Trevor Penning, Kurt Warner, LJ Fort, Xavier Williams was there as well. Obviously got Jay Johnson, Theo Day, but those are my main ones for Iowa, for you and I. Bryce Pop's last season was 1990. So it counted. <laughs> and then Iowa State, day four was GOAT and men's women's basketball for Iowa, Iowa State, you and I, and Drake. Iowa had Caitlin Clark, Megan Gustafson, Luca Garza, and Roy Marble, with special honorable mention of Chris Street. And he mentioned Keegan Murray as well. Didn't think of Keegan Murray in that, but it makes sense for Keegan Murray. Highest draft pick in Iowa history, if I'm not mistaken. Iowa State, we had Marcus Pfizer, George Niang, uh, Monte Morris, and Fred Hoiberg, the mayor, but Ashley Jones. Definitely deserves a shout there. I think Tyrus Halliburton deserves some. Jamal Tinsley, Royce White, uh, Allison Lacey, TJ Otzelberger's wife, should definitely be mentioned in there. You and I had AJ Green, Adam Cook, Seth Tuttle, and Ali Farokmanesh for what that shot alone, that shot alone immortalized him. When you think of you and I basketball, the first person a lot of people think of is Ali Farokmanesh against Kansas. Then Drake, we had Adam Emenecker, Josh Young, Tucker DeVries, and Leonard Houston. Leonard Houston was kind of the dirty guy for that Drake team that went to the tournament. It was the five seed, and that tournament lost to West Kentucky. Adam Emenecker and Josh Young were my two favorite players growing up. I watched a lot of Drake basketball growing up. Uh, Ravante Rice was in that team, or not in that team, but he was a few years later, but really good player. Ronnie Stanley, I think, was in that team as well. Not I, I say in this team, in the Drake basketball lore. That team, though, was Emenecker, Young, Houston, Jonathan Cox, Clayton Corver, Brent Heemskirk, John Michael Paul, Jacob Barron, Baron Brunch, Josh Parker. Is there anybody I'm like forgetting? And this stuff's the top of my head. Who else am I forgetting? There's probably like some other player I'm missing in there, but those are the main ones. Those are the main ones. But 
yeah, it was a fun week to go on Colin Company for Mount Rushmore week. We did some Mount Rushmore stuff with Brady off, kind of off the dome with the trophy games, but those are fun. Let me know what your Mount Rushmores are for each, if you have any. If not, that's perfectly fine as well. But that's all I've got for you on this Friday edition of Logan Blackman Show. Hope you enjoyed. Stuff got better as the show went on. We went away from bitching against the United States men's team to talk about the women's team winning a, fourth, a fifth World Cup third in a row to go into college football, the draft, and Mount Rushmore week. So I hope you enjoyed. If not, I sincerely apologize. It'll probably be better next time. Make sure, again, to follow all those different social media accounts. Check out the YouTube channel as well. Make sure to subscribe to that. And make sure, of course, to follow and subscribe to the Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And leave a rating out of five stars on both. Could be a five-star rating or a one-star rating. Don't care, just as long as you leave a description down below. I've been Logan Blackman, and I will see you all later. Peace.